Do you know what a box camera is? I don't think I do. I mean, I've seen those little pinhole cameras. Where people get like the cardboard and they put the pinhole in it and, you know, you can make a make a picture that way. Is that what you mean? No, that's not what you mean. Well, like, OK, can you imagine something similar to a cinema camera? Maybe something like a Red Komodo or a Confinity or that sort of thing where the camera itself is a box with a sensor in it. And then it doesn't necessarily have a handle or a viewfinder or a screen. It just got, so it has a bunch of, you know, rivet holes and screw holes and quarter inches and all this stuff on it. Okay. And then, yep. you know, jacks in the back. The, uh, similar like those uh, Ursa mini cameras. Yeah. Okay. So, something along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. Panasonic released forever ago a BS1H and then a BGH5S. Yeah, I think I do remember you that. Remember those box camera mm-hmm. versions of their hybrid cameras? Right. I do remember that. What are your opinions on box cameras versus hybrid style cameras? For something like an S1H or a GH5, where you know, you're buying it, or, you know, maybe even an XH2S or like an FX3, you're buying it specifically to use it for mostly the video stuff. So is, is is the is the box you know configuration more useful? I think they look really cool. You know, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a matte box where if, if you see somebody pull that out, you're like, this person's real serious oh, yeah. about video. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, mm-hmm. like I should probably be paying this guy more to shoot this because he has this camera, but. I think I don't really understand why that form factor is needed. I guess it makes it easier to rig up. Maybe that's the advantage, but like, I don't know. Camera cages are pretty easy to use. And I feel like if I was buying, it's like, why wouldn't I get a normal S1H where if I wanted to, I could handhold it pretty easily. It has the screen built in, all that kind of stuff. Why would I want this weird box thing? So it's almost like if that's just how the camera comes, like a red Komodo, then fine, like, I get it, but I don't know why I would pick it if I had the choice. I don't. I mean, I just I just think it seems it seems more like video centrically useful. Like yeah, uh, like if you look at the back of them, it has all of your ports there in the back, and like your your battery, and then you can easily swap your batteries in and out, and plug all your things in, or you know, if you're gonna run you know video over to S- SDI somewhere or you're obviously going to have to run HDMI out to something and it's kind of like built more for being able to use like just for the video stuff and ports are in more of the right place so you can okay. configure your own handles and your own I mean a lot of people buy these hybrid cameras they put them in cages and they have mm-hmm. to like rig out all this different stuff That's true. and at the end of the day they just look like another box camera so, so why do we never see people using them like why have i never seen a video of somebody using the BS1H I, box mm, camera. I don't know. Is it because YouTubers don't use them? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe like for people who have a studio set up and they're using a bunch of GH5Ss, they just buy the box camera version. Maybe so. How's the price compared? You know, uh, I think it's basically the same. I don't it's, think you shouldn't lose it be cheaper because I mean you don't have a screen on there, or do you? Maybe, uh, it, has, maybe no. it does have a screen. The, the ones that Panasonic released didn't have a screen. I mean, it, it just feels like it's objectively like less full featured $2,500 from B and H for a BS one H. Okay. Well that is cheaper. S one H is like a $4,000 camera. S one H is $4,000 new. Oh, here we go. Adorama new 3,500 versus 4,000. Yeah. So like you save 500 bucks and like, I guess, you know, you're not necessarily getting all the photo stuff, but if you're only using it for video, I wonder if it has IBIS. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. You think it's just the same camera? I think it's the same camera. It's just in a in a more video centric shape. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. It it feels like to me, it feels like it's in that category of things that I would like to have a use for because I would feel cool if I owned mm-hmm, one. But mm-hmm. I just I can't imagine buying one with what I do. Man, I don't know. Like if I had a dedicated video camera, I feel like I would want it to be box shaped yeah. instead of not box shaped. Interesting. Like, I feel like it gives me more more credibility. <laughs> you just think it'd look cool. On that note, <laughs> I think that Panasonic needs to release an S5 Mark II in a box camera. Do you think that would hit that category of people that want to look cool doing video but don't want to spend a lot of money to do it? I mean, it's it's my hot take. Everyone's everyone's in love with this camera all of a sudden. It just came out of nowhere. Best camera ever, apparently. I think it could be a box-shaped camera. Maybe so. Probably would be about 5% better. 5% better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smaller or cheaper or something like that. I mean, I would be interested in like a box-shaped X-H2S. I don't know why, but I would be. <laughs> I could like hold it like a baby. Uh-huh. Point it at things. I don't know. I like the idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess like 
the counter example is something like Sony where they have the cinema camera like FX3, FX30, mm-hmm. but those are just normal camera they're shapes. Still, yeah, they're still hybrid shaped. Yeah. I don't know. Like if if I'm rigging out a camera, I'm not going to put a second handle on the right side. I'm going to use the camera handle because sure. it's like, why, why would I have two handles? The shutter button's right there. But if I could like pick my own bespoke wooden engraved handle with a shutter button on it and then... You know, and then I attach it to to my box camera. Like I'm not having double double handle problems, and I don't have to be envious of all the people with their wooden grain handles. <laughs> That's true. Well, you're going to be in luck whenever you finally buy that Confinity camera you want. <laughs> You'll get that in the in in a very nice sleek box shape, and you can add whatever handle you want. Mm. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. Okay. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about what everyone's talking about right now, which is the new Panasonic camera. And what is it? It's, it's a camera. It's a, it's a camera. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you get your, your invite uh, for Japan? Uh, you know, I got the invite, but I just decided not to go. It's, just, yeah. it's a long, long, way to, long way to drive. It's a re- really long way to drive. You know, we like to stay we're new, neutral over here. Yes. We, don't, we don't have any brand biases, yeah. uh, especially yeah. not towards Fuji or Nikon. Yeah, we don't take money from anybody, mostly because they're not offering it to us. Well, not, not to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've watched and read basically every ounce of content about this camera. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far for myself, but I've definitely looked at some stuff on it. You know, it was a big announcement a few days ago, and definitely exciting stuff to see so yeah it was fun looking through everything and seeing all the videos on it all right off off the dome what are the what are the maybe one or two things that stand out to you about about this release i mean clearly the top one for me would be the phase detect autofocus because that's been something that's really been lacking from panasonic's cameras in the past yeah for sure and it's not just it's not just phase detect, right? It is a true hybrid system. They're not dropping the contrast thing. And I feel like people are, you know, talking about phase over and over and over again. And it just I want to rehash like what what that is. Just just a reminder for everybody. I know we all know what the difference is between phase detect and contrast detect. Yeah, one's good and the other's bad. Oh, Jesus. But like that's not totally true. <laughs> so like contrast detect, which you know, most modern cameras use both. It, they're both all hybrid systems and it's using, you know, the phase detect to get to the focus point and then the contrast to kind of tighten it up. And so what contrast is doing is it's taking, you know, the latest picture and the previous picture image, you know, if you're shooting you know, 24 frames per second or whatever, it's the last two images or the last whatever. Two frames. Yeah. yeah. And it's comparing the two. And if something's out of focus, it has less contrast. And if it's more in focus, it has more contrast. And so it's diffing these p- images and then, you know, changing the focus to tighten it up to get closer and closer to you know perfect focus. Yep. And if you only have contrast, then it's always doing this. And so for Panasonic, it was really good in photos because you just needed it you know, at least in single point. You know, in single focus, if you're not continuously focusing, then it can find that point of most contrast pretty quickly and then lock in. And, and, it, and it was and it was relatively reliable for like single point photo focus. Well, and the advantage to it is that it's very accurate. Yes, it's very accurate. Yeah, so like Panasonic's contrast system was really good and they've been refining it and refining it and refining it and refining it. And the problem is like when you do use it for like video, say you're you, you're shooting someone who has, you know, nice, nice pretty lights behind them. And if your focus is moving constantly, then you're going to get those lights pulsing. Yeah, it's very and, distracting. Yeah, and so that's that that pulsing effect thing that everyone's been complaining about with, you know, Panasonic cam- Panasonic cameras forever. So that's the contrast. And then phase detect, it's like it's like your eyeballs. You have two pixels and they're, you know, a distance apart, like a micron or whatever. Your and eyeballs are probably more than a micron apart. Very good point. Yeah. Eyeballs, more. Pixels, less. Oh, you were talking about pixels. I right. Okay. And <laughs> and basically, like, you, we can see depth because we have, it's it's two points, two right. points of vision, you get the, right? Yeah, 3D vision. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you cover one eye, maybe you have less depth perception or, like, if you're looking at two things that are stacked right on top of each other, you can still kind of see the thing that's around it because maybe one eye is off center or whatever. It's the same deal with, uh, with where you have two, you have two points okay. and then you take basically the out of phase distance between the two by, you know, what they're reading. And then you, you bring them into phase to bring it into focus. It's okay. Like, it's, it's almost like 3d depth perception, but then you use it mathematically to focus the focus, the camera. And so that's, that's very fast, but it's not always perfectly accurate. 
And so you use both, which is often why like whenever you, when you go to focus on something, you'll see the camera like zip in really close and then do it again. So that's like the phase and then the contrast. Yeah, basically. Okay. And so that's why it always kind of looks like it steps twice whenever yeah. you're trying to focus is because it's those hybrid systems. And then mm. like as the hybrid systems have gotten a lot better, that like jump, jump thing has you know, mostly gone away for some of the modern stuff. Right. But that's, that's what a hybrid system is doing. And that's what Panasonic has brought here is they've added phase detection to their already really good contrast mm -hmm. which, but the contrast wasn't enough to like meet the needs of everybody and so that's why this is this is such a big deal and i think that like with with all of their algorithms and all of the practice that they've had and you know work that they've done to get their contrast good in adding face detect it seems like they've you know jumped jumped up with the leaders of the pack and people are saying that it's almost as good as Sony. Yeah, it's really surprising too because that was always such a shortcoming of the Panasonic cameras. I mean, I had that GH5 and I basically never used the autofocus in video because it was just not reliable. Yeah. And now they suddenly have a good system. Mm -hmm. But like all the video stuff is really good and so it's, you know, well, do I need the autofocus? Do I not? Yep. To clarify one more thing on phase detect, that's, that's everybody, including Canon, even though they call theirs dual pixel. But Canon calls it dual pixel because every pixel has a focus point and a whatever a phase detection okay. point, right mm -hmm. so it's dual the every pixel is a dual pixel yeah versus like things like sony or fuji or now panasonic they have certain pixels within the sensor plane mm -hmm. are dedicated for you have phase like detection four, 400 of them or something yeah like that, right? and so like that's why you have these like how many phase detect points do i have you can't have 100 percent, or else you wouldn't have a picture or you would be canon and you'd be doing dual pixel so. yeah that is interesting but like doing the dual pixel thing you know maybe those those photo sites are all smaller now and so you mm -hmm. get you know less more noisy less less light into your into your sensor yeah yeah interesting yeah so that's all that's all cool or whatever and so now we have Panasonic here, you know, swinging in. They basically took an S5 and then put phase detect in mm -hmm. it. It's not really that different. I think they upgraded the processor, but the sensor is essentially the same. Well, it's not the same because it has the phase detect. It now. has the phase yeah. detect. So it is it is a different sensor, but it's the same resolution. Mm -hmm. And with the new processor, I mean, like it kind of enabled a few things like the open gate recordings there. Right. Which is nice. And then. I mean, I, I think it is underselling it a bit to say it's basically an S5 because whenever I had been looking at cameras when when I was you know sort of unhappy with where I was at with stuff, I certainly gave the the Lumix S series a look, but the S5 to me just didn't really grab my attention enough. I guess like I mean maybe it was just the lack of autofocus. I think that I also had an impression of the L series lenses being really expensive, which I think has started to change. And I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. But yeah, definitely. But I think that they've added enough new stuff to this S5 II that it, at, now it seems interesting. Now I feel like I would have given it a lot closer of a look when I was looking at cameras. Yeah, I think that some of that new stuff is that that 422 10-bit is in more codecs, whereas I think it wasn't quite in everything previously. And uh, so you can shoot, you know, up to 4K60 in 422 10-bit, which is cool. Yeah. But like the older sensor and still like recycling some of that design, they're not, it's not quite as competitive with something like an R6 Mark II. Because whenever, if you're shooting open gate in the S5 Mark II, it's 420 10-bit versus the R6 Mark II from Canon. That's mm -hmm. uncropped 422 10-bit. Yeah, so, so there are still some limitations on the right. sensor. Yeah, and like in the 4K60 is a 1.5 crop, Right. which like not a big deal. I mean, APS-C. Yeah, APS-C is fine. Super 35 is great. But it's like if you're using a lens and you're like you're mixing footage and you don't want to have to switch lenses or change focal lengths, it can be really frustrating sure. to go from 4K24 to 4K60. Right, right. And that's... That crop is also 4K 48 because this camera can shoot 48 frames per second, which is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of cool. One of the things that that stood out to me, we, we should talk about the IBIS and and just you know everyone's impression on that. But because it's a Panasonic camera, it has all of those cool anamorphic modes built into it, and so you can you know put an anamorphic lens on it and then tell it, you know, I'm shooting in 1.85 or 2.39, and it'll auto, it'll go ahead and just de-stretch it for you in camera, mm -hmm. and you don't have to like like you could do it in post or you can bake it in, and so it's cool to have all those options. But because they have their IBIS system, they're letting you use IBIS with the anamorphic lenses. Oh, interesting. Which that's a pretty new thing. Like not a lot of, I don't know if any other cameras letting you do that right now. Just because the way that like you have to de-stretch the image, um, I didn't even think it was possible. But like the math as far as like moving this around and then when the de-stretch happens, I guess they can make it happen. Yeah. But it's, 
it's a pretty cool thing. That is pretty cool. And I mean, they've got the open gate recording. So that's kind of like a, a necessary part of that too. But I mean, that just seems like another example of how Panasonic really leads on the video features. And it never feels like their cameras are compromised. Like they're not holding stuff back to put on higher end models. I mean, it's pretty capable. Yeah, I guess, you know, your Canons and your Sonys have their cinema lines, mm-hmm. right? And it's does Panasonic doesn't really have a cinema line, do they? Uh, they sort of do. I mean, they have like really high-end cameras. I think there's like a EVA-1 or something. I, mean, okay. they, I think they have like Hollywood-grade cameras, but they don't have anything that's like a Canon C200. They don't have like that level of cinema camera. Oh, yeah. They uh, they definitely have cinema cameras. This is cool. Scroll, 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 scroll. The Vericam 35, the Vericam LT. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, that's what the name Vlog uh, comes from. Is, oh, okay. is very, from the Vericam series. Man, speaking of log, the log, the internal log stuff on this camera seems really cool. What makes it different? So I, I was I was just talking about in one of our previous episodes, uh, working in DaVinci Resolve and like doing like Asus color workflows and like taking all your footage and transforming it into a common color space, working mm-hmm. on it and then finalizing it to a you know a Rec 709 whatever eight bit output or something. And we in the new S5 II you can load in your own LUTs, right? So like you can throw in the V-Log and do it that way. I think that Panasonic also has a, like, like the V-Log shifts magenta and has this like really pleasing look to it, but you can also, they have a LUT that basically renders it to true colors, which is really nice as well if you need to. Anyways, you can load in your own color space transform. So if you wanted everything to be in, you know, S-Cine Log 3 or, you know, F-Log 2 or whatever, or maybe on Asus color transform space, you can bake that into your footage. Yeah, they you had can, like a they have a picture profile that lets you just bake it into the recorded thing. Yeah, well, cool. well, like you can so you can shoot an F log and then have it just output to a Rec. Seven hundred nine, which is like that's weird. Why didn't just shoot in Rec. Seven hundred nine? But being able to shoot in V log and then have it color space transform to a different log profile to match your other cameras. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And they also have that. They also have the feature where you can load in those LUTs just to use on the monitor. Yeah. And I like I saw one thing like Caleb Pike made one where he has a vlog false color LUT. And so even though the camera doesn't have false color, he just loads a LUT on there and then he can put false color on and have it show up on the monitor. That's really cool. And then you can independently run that to the monitor versus the camera monitor itself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You can do all that. And then if you're doing that, obviously, you don't want to record it that way, but you can. You know, you could still record regular vlog, but then like you're seeing it on the screen with false color. So there's a lot of cool options with that. Yeah. And they have like 10 different 10 different slots in there where you can load in that many different LUTs or different profiles into the camera. I think that adds a lot of use and functionality. And that's kind of the big reason why you people shoot Panasonic is ever since like the GH. I think it was like the GH3 or the GH2. People started hacking the firmware on the cameras to enable a bunch of features. <laughs> yep. And yep. instead of Panasonic being like, get out of here and locking it down, they're like, what if we just added these features? Yeah. And they did. And then they got the GH4 and the GH5 and like it supports shutter angle and all these other, like you can have a, you can have like a proper, you know, vector scope lumograph and not just a, a histogram for exposing mm-hmm. your video. And I don't know, they have a lot of really cool features that even like the FX3, FX30 don't have. And those are supposed to be, you know, quote unquote cinema cameras because they're in the FX line and something like this S5 Mark II and, you know, along with the GH series and that sort of thing, they have all these extra features. Some of that stuff was really a surprise to me coming to a different camera system from Panasonic because having had the GH5, there were some things about it that I sort of just started to take for granted and just thought that every camera is going to have this. I remember you were surprised on the X-H2S that you could finally preview F-Log2 on the camera monitor, like on the camera screen. Like that was something you couldn't... Am I right about that? Right. No, you're right. I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I was relieved for sure because I knew that other cameras could do it Mm -hmm. and it was really frustrating that there wasn't a built-in. But but there's still still a limitation on the X-H2S because Mm -hmm. on HDMI output, you can't preview F-Log2. Right. And And, you can't load in your own LUTs mm -hmm. either. It's just the whatever F-Log Assist that's built in. And it's still not exactly the same as Mm -hmm. whatever final output you're going to use. I remember being so surprised that like on my small HD monitor, I had to go find that LUT and load it on the monitor so that I'd be able to preview it. Because on the GH5, I could easily just do V-Log preview over HDMI. Mm -hmm. It felt like such a basic feature to me. But I think we kind of take it for granted that Panasonic gives you all these things that are just, you know, nice video features to have that other camera manufacturers aren't doing. Yep. It's still weird to me that they they kind of 
price hide certain features. Like for the GH5, it, it was like 200 bucks to enable VLOG. That was weird, yeah. And they're doing it again here. It's $200 to enable HDMI raw recording. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know why they do that. It's kind of goofy, I think. I know. I guess it kind of helps them cover some some additional costs for it. Yeah, maybe so. Apparently, uh, the IBIS in this camera is just as good as any you know previous Panasonic camera. Mm-hmm. You know, GH5, GH6, king of king of in-body stabilization. Yeah, which is impressive because it's a full-frame sensor. So, I mean, on the GH5, I think we thought part of the reason it was so good was because it was a micro four-thirds sensor and so they could throw it around more easily, but mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive on a full-frame. Yeah, for sure. I guess what people are saying is that the the lens mount itself on L-mount is it's just bigger, right? Like compared to something like Sony, uh, where that was, you know, E-mount was originally designed for APS-C and so it's... They don't quite have the same amount of movement room for the sensor right. uh, to, you know, without vignetting the corners. So I think that you know Panasonic, because they're they're late to the game, right? You know, R mount, uh, Z mount, E mount, all that stuff was out there for a few years before Panasonic uh, started the L mount alliance with Sigma and, and Leica. And so I think that they were able to take a lot of hints from everybody of mm-hmm. you know maybe we make this mount a little bigger to for, you know, IBIS and. That sort of thing. So. And that IBIS seems really good. I mean, I saw some videos like like Gerald's video and stuff where, I mean, he was like running through a parking garage and it yeah. looked like it was on a gimbal. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Really, really good. Very, very surprising. Mm-hmm. It it kind of uh, underscored for me where the limits are on my current camera, which, which if anyone doesn't know, XH2S camera of the year like the auto the the stabilization on that still jumps a little bit like mm-hmm. if you're trying to do a nice smooth because that, that's where that's where the problem is right if you can you can like hold it and you can get a fairly stable image you can kind of you can do a left right pan relatively okay but if you start trying to treat it like a like a cinema handheld where you don't have any stabilization at all and you're just relying on the weight of the camera to compensate for all the hand jitter you just have this smooth handheld look you can't really get that on xh2s without adding weight which is the whole reason you have ibis in the first place and panasonic has probably the best handheld look out of anybody right now yeah i agree and even like the locked off tripod mode like mm-hmm. the is boost or whatever on the xh2s it's just not quite as good it's like no. you know it, it'll jump and shift sometimes because you i guess you exceed what it can do but i mean i remember on the gh5 it was like i could turn that mode on and it would just be totally rock solid right. no problems at all i mean panasonic is at the top of the game on ibis and yeah. if ibis is important then the s52 seems like it's a really good choice it just feels like while everybody was wasting their time on autofocus panasonic was over here improving all these other features and now they've added the face tech they're you know right up there with the top dogs again yeah it's it's like i said it's a really compelling camera and i would have given this a serious look if i was shopping for a camera right now yeah no kidding a few other things uh so it is an older sensor uh, which we already talked about kind of running into the limits of readout speeds or having to crop for 4K60, 4K48. They're not able to do full 422 in open gate, but you still get the open gate. You got the widescreen 5.9K, but it is a it is a dual gain sensor still. And so you have that better ISO performance at 4000. And then the other base ISO, I believe, is 640 or is it 320? I think it's 640. And so those are going to be like your cleanest stops. And I think Potato Jet and a few other people did comparison of the noise and the gain to something like an A7S3, which is, you know, low light king or whatever. And the dual native ISO for the A7S3, I think, is 12,800. That's that, really high. It's really high, but it's it's like basically you can just shoot in the dark mm-hmm. because it you get to that crazy high ISO, which, I mean, that's, that's almost where the Fuji cameras cap. And they're like, well, this is the new base. <laughs> And it was like, it was cleaner on the X-H2S at 12,800, but it was cleaner on the, the S5 II at 4,000, right? Because they're native ISOs. And so, but if, so if you're shooting in like 6,400, 8,000, I think that the Panasonic's going to look cleaner because it's closer to that base ISO. Look cleaner than the sorry, S, the S, the A7S3, A7S3. Okay. Right. And which is, you know, quote unquote, low light King. Mm-hmm. And then even at those like really high ISOs, the color noise in the A7S3 really starts to show and you get these like, you know, magenta patches and color shifts where the S5 Mark II holds its color really, really well, even mm-hmm. up to like 512. Right. It's interesting. It's impressive. It's impressive what they're doing as far as it being able to get into those really high gain areas, not lose its color, 
and still have workable noise that you can probably you know, deal with in Bose. Yeah, that is great. I mean, that was always a problem for me on the GH5 on the micro four thread sensor. I mean, it's a small sensor, so you're not getting much light in, but it was also... I mean, that was like a 2017 camera. So right. when I was using it last year, you know, it just kind of felt like couldn't really go. Like I didn't even want to go over ISO 1600. I mean, you know, at 3200, you were getting quite a bit of noise. But I mean, this is a full frame sensor and it's a much newer camera. And I'm mean, right. glad to see they're improving that. Yeah, I mean, and that your, your ISO 4000 on that camera is going to look just as clean as 640. It's yeah. it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, and I, I love those dual gains. I like what the C70 does where it's it does a dual gain output. And so it it's basically like those audio recorders where you like he feed in the signal and then it puts out two different gain mm-hmm. signals so that you you can take one or the other and you, it saves you from clipping. It's basically doing that on the C70. I and, didn't know it did that. That's pretty cool. But it's using it to give you a dynamic range boost. Mm. I think that the GH5 GH6 is doing that too. That's right. It does. It goes into that. I mean, you only get one. You only get one video file. Right. GH6, one so. video file, but it's putting out two separate signals so you can get you know a yeah. wider dynamic range, which That's is why. The C70 is so good in that regard. You know, this is doing it's dual native ISO, but it's not dual gain, I guess. Right. Interesting. I mean, that could be that could be a cool feature for the S1H. I mean, just looking at, you know, what this camera can do, and it's better than the S1H in a lot of ways. And S1H has gotten pretty mm-hmm. long in the two. Makes tubes. you wonder like S1H Mark II, like what would that That's, be? That has to be coming this year, yeah. like late this year. And I feel like that that one's gonna be that one's gonna be a hard to beat camera. I, it seems like they're probably gonna run in and and really kill the video specs for that one yeah because i mean the s5 is i guess it's their lowest end l series camera right like the original yeah they don't they don't have anything lower than this Mm -hmm. it's it's just it's that that price point camera which i mean we can talk about that it's two thousand dollars right it's (laughs) it's just crazy it's so good as far as price yeah like your your closest competitors in the full frame market are the a7 IV, which is 2500 and the Canon R6 Mark II, which is 2600 Well, what about the FX30, I guess, is APS-C? Yeah, FX30 is APS-C. FX3 is whatever, $3,000, $4,000. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Z6 Mark II is ancient. Mm-hmm. They Maybe they released the Z6 Mark III, and I don't know about it yet. Very possible. But even still, that one that one's 1700 but you're not going to buy that over this, especially if you're looking for really good video features. What gets me on the price is I don't know why you go with a GH6 over this. The GH6 is $2,200. Is it really more expensive? Yeah. I don't, I don't see what you get there that you're not getting with this. I honestly can't think of anything. I mean, it's, it's not even a smaller body necessarily no it's not I, I think the gh5 is bigger than the s5 mark ii which is funny yeah that is funny the but, ibis is going to be as good the autofocus is better the main things i can think of are one if you have a lot of micro four thirds lenses sure like that like a 10 to 25 that's like two thousand dollars like i could see you saying you know i'm just going to keep keep micro four thirds so that's one reason and then the other would be if you just if something like rolling shutter is really critical to you yeah that's what or, i was gonna say or uncropped 4k 60 like if you need something like that maybe you have to go gh6 but i mean i'm glad i didn't buy a gh6 last year because i think i would have been pretty disappointed when this came out yeah and the gh6 is probably getting close to you know 12 or 13 stops of dynamic range with that super boost on and i mean the s5 mark ii is doing 13.2 13.5 basically has like 14 stops of readable dynamic range depending upon how much noise reduction you do mm-hmm. which is fairly competitive i mean it's no xh2s but you know what are you gonna do yeah i mean what what is you know exactly, it's, exactly. it's not a camera of the year so <laughs> maybe this year right maybe. you know maybe the maybe anyways whatever so yeah it's we got we have dual v60 card slots sd cards yeah sd card slots which i think are uhs2 I don't know if the previous S5 had the same speed cards, same speed card support. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But that does mean that, you know, those V60s are going to probably only be able to read up to maybe, I don't know, like 400, 480 megabit per second before you start capping out on the right speeds of those cards. And so that means you're never going to really see anything like, you might be able to get ProRes in like an LT form, but I don't think you're ever going to get like a ProRes or a RAW internally on this camera. So there's the other the other one, right? There's the X variant that's coming. Right, yeah. And I think that one is going to have ProRes. Uh, but that's why I'm wondering, are they going to change cards on that mm. camera? It didn't didn't say that they are going to necessarily, yeah. but yeah, like they announced this camera today and they said later this year, we're going to come out with the X model, which has me wondering, maybe they released the X and the SHS1H Mark II at the same time. But the X model will be able to do raw video output, which this one can if you spend 200 bucks. Yeah, that one will get it for free. Which that covers the price point, right? Because the X is going to be 22 instead of 25. And then you it'll do uh, like 
video recording to an SSD or USB, which why isn't everybody else doing yeah, that? Big that makes feature, me so mad. Really want that. Didn't they say it was coming on the XH2S and it just hasn't released yet? No, I don't know if they did. Oh, okay. I have to look it, into it's, those rumors. It's frustrating that that's not on every camera. That would, that would be a big deal. Especially since the XH2S can do the RAW and can do the ProRes internal. It's like, those files are huge. I mean, I have a 320 gig CF Express card, and if I record ProRes HQ, I can get 18 minutes of footage. And like a one terabyte CF Express is going to cost as much as the camera. I really like the workflow of recording onto an SSD. I've enjoyed that when I've done it with the Ninja, but I find myself not using the Ninja very much because it's just annoying to rig up. And if I could just plug in an SSD to my camera, I would probably do that pretty often. Like any studio shooting, I'd be doing that. Aren't there like camera handles that have T5 slots in them? Mm -hmm. And so you can just like slip that puppy in there and then just run the USB into your camera. Yeah, there's a lot of them because the Blackmagic cameras can do it. And so because of that, yeah, you you see it a lot. Man, that would be perfect. I just, I don't know, that feels like a really good solution. And it's frustrating that it's basically Blackmagic and Panasonic. And I love that Panasonic is going to do it with the X version for this Mm -hmm. camera. I mean, it's a a low end, low end. It's like a mid range camera. And like these features are high end features. I mean, and you left out the most important part, which is that the X model is going to be matte black. Right, right. Matte black, except for the one little red ring. That's going to look really slick. In addition to, you know, the sweet looks you're looking at all intra compression modes which i was surprised that the s standard mark ii doesn't have all i i like shooting an all i versus long gop especially for bigger projects where i need the you know the smoother video files so that's frustrating but it's nice that it's coming with the x model and then they're adding uh wired and wireless ip streaming as well as uh, internal prores capture so they are going to be able to do the prores honestly like one, I, right now, the, the X model is not out. It's just the no, S5 Mark II. But once that comes out, you get so many features for that 200 bucks. Right. It's like, I cannot imagine buying the non-X model. I f- I, it's, it's, it's surprising to me if they even have both options. Yeah, I guess if you're not a video person, you're just doing photos. That kind of makes sense. I Which I want to talk about that for a second. But first, you know, with the X model and that internal ProRes and all I, they have to be switching it to CF Express, right? They, either that or they just assume that you're going to record to an SSD, right? Like it's... it's those are maybe, the two options. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is. It's like if you record to an SSD, then. But it's they said internal, right? Internal ProRes. So. Yeah, well, then they, they have to. I mean, I don't. I don't think you can record fast enough onto an SD card to do that. Yeah, unless it was like ProRes LT. But yeah. I mean, V60 is just it's fast, but it's not that fast. Yeah, we'll see. Talking about photo, right? The photo picture taking on this camera is pretty good. You know, the colors on the Panasonic cameras have always been relatively decent. I shot with a GX7 for a good long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really liked the way that the contrasts and, and the skin tones look on those cameras. It's it's good. They, yeah. They take good photos. And so I find it kind of interesting as the idea that if you're getting into L-mount, this feels like the cheapest way in right now. Because the L-mount alliance is Leica and Panasonic. And then Sigma, but Sigma doesn't really make a camera except for that one camera. They make the Sigma FP. Barely counts. Yep. And so you could come in and get this camera, build out your lens lineup, and then you're like, oh, now I want to get a photo camera that's really good at photos. Leica's right there. And you could just put your lenses on your Leica camera. And I thought it was an interesting concept of your upgrade path from a Panasonic S5 Mark II is a Leica Q6. <laughs> Uh, that's a a pretty steep upgrade but (laughs) (laughs) it it sure is and also i don't know who's buying a leica camera and putting like a sigma 24 to 70 on it (laughs) yeah Yeah. but maybe you just have those lying around you can put your panasonic 50 mil 1.8 on your leica q6 Mm, that's true and sure the q6 is the interchangeable lens version right i'm not just I know the Q2 is not, so there's an M6 too, I think. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was trying to think about whether I would use this as a photo camera or not. I feel like Panasonic cameras take fine photos, but I don't feel like they would generally be my top choice for photo. Maybe I'm just biased because the GH5 wasn't really a photo camera. The GH5 was not good at photos. Yeah. I was just blown away when I used the USR and the Fuji cameras with how much better the photos looked. I think that, and I don't know, I don't know if this for sure, because I'd have to go look at the specs, but usually when you're shooting a bare sensor, and I know we're all X, X trans bros over here, but when you're shooting on a bare sensor, sub 16 megapixels, usually they're sticking an anti-aliasing filter on there because of the aliasing and blah, blah, blah. And 
once you get over 20, 24, you can, it's a fine enough mesh of pixels. So you don't have to do that anymore. And so I'm wondering if like, you know, it's a smaller sensor. It's more noise. It probably has an anti-aliasing filter because it was like, what, 16 megapixels or something? No, it was 20, I think. It was 20. And then, you know, you jump to this one, 24. I guess it's not that much more. It's like 24, 26 megapixels. They probably don't have an anti-aliasing on there. Less noise. It's just going to look, it's just going to look cleaner. Plus the sensor's a lot newer. Um, bigger. I mean, it's a full frame sensor. Yeah, so. and newer. Yeah. And newer. Yeah. Maybe I don't actually know. Some people are assuming, saying that this might be the same sensor that was in the A7 III. Interesting. Which is four years old. But that's also <laughs> why you know they're able to keep the price down, right? right. I mean, it, you know, for photos, I think it's probably a perfectly fine camera, and the price is so good that uh, you know, for, if you want a full frame camera for taking photos, I think this is just as competitive as anything else. Yeah, I mean, if I was like sixty forty video photo, then I mean, I would have no no problem picking this up over something else. But if I was, you know. 80 20 on photo then i would probably still lean towards something like a canon or an icon yeah yeah i think i agree with that i was wondering how this compares to the a7 IV, which is what a year and a half old at this point so maybe you know 60 80 percent through its life cycle the a7 IV has it crops in certain modes right like it, it, it still crops in 4k 60 i think that's right and then it can't shoot open gate mm-hmm. i'm just trying to think of like what does the a7 IV do better than this camera right now? Not rolling shutter. Nope. Autofocus is probably still better. I feel like Sony is unbeatable on autofocus. Yeah, but they're, I mean, the way that like the 155 videos that I've watched so far, <laughs> pretty good, right? <laughs> For this new Panasonic hybrid system, it's it's up there. Yeah. I think that I think that if you could take the hit, the Sony autofocus system is not $500 better yeah, than what fair. Panasonic just dropped. I feel like, one one downside to this camera that I wanted to find a place to mention, and maybe this makes sense, is it just seems like there's a lot of weird gotchas with the modes. Sure. So like the autofocus, you don't get phase detect at 120 frames per second, and then you don't get any autofocus if you go up to 180, 180 frames per second. Right. And I think there's some other stuff in there too. I mean, cropping in 4K60 is another good example of this, but it just seems like there are a lot of little things where depending on what mode you're in, you lose a certain capability or, you know, this is supported up to this mode or whatever. And on one hand, I appreciate that Panasonic is giving you everything they can give you, you know, and like they're, they're clearly like pushing the limits of what their processor can do and stuff. I'm sure they would have done phase detect autofocus at 120 if they could have. So, I mean, they're, they're pushing the limits, but right. It's, it just it's makes the it, limit of that sensor for sure. Yeah. But it just makes it so that when you're using the camera, it feels like you have to keep a lot of stuff in your head. You know, you just have to know like, oh, if I go up to 120, I'm not getting that really good autofocus anymore. And it's kind of annoying maybe having to keep track of that stuff. And it's possible that a camera like the a7 IV doesn't have quite as many of those things. Right. I mean, it still has like the crop mode in 4K or whatever, but you are getting a higher megapixel count with a7 IV. So like maybe it's nicer for larger photos. And maybe, yeah, you don't have to worry about so much as losing your autofocus settings between modes and that sort of thing. I don't think the Sony loses its autofocus in any mode. I guess if, if that's that's important. Like if it, if you need peak autofocus, like obviously it's, it's the Sony. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, for $500 less, man, the S5 Mark II seems really, really yeah. good. It doesn't have the focus breathing compensation, but Panasonic says that you don't need that because they know how to make good lenses. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> But those lenses, those lenses are good. The series of Panasonic Primes that they make, that was one, the 1. 1.8, you know, 24, 50, uh, 50, 35, 85. They're all really good lenses. Yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily like G Master quality, but they're they're sharp and they're good lenses, and they don't they don't really breathe. Mm-hmm. And they built them as as like a Trinity, right? Not a Trinity, a quad, quadrant, quad, whatever, a four, sure. a set of four. I don't know what do we call the Matrix movies now that there's a fourth one, <laughs> Panasonic. That's what we call them. They're all the same, basically the same size physically, basically the same weight, all 67 millimeter filter threads. And so you can rig this puppy up on a gimbal or something and then swap the lenses out and you don't have to rebalance. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so they, they're like, here's a, a set of four lenses, which are typically the four primes you're going to need. And there you go. They, they all yeah. work together. Very cool. So really, really cool lens lineup there. But I do think that, you know, the L mount system is still... It's still sparse. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot smaller than the E-mount lenses. And I mean, for me, when I was looking at cameras, I would say the L-mount lenses were the primary reason I didn't consider one of the Panasonic cameras. I think it's gotten better than I thought it had, because I, I, I still thought it was the case that every lens was super expensive. And I think that has improved. But 
it still just feels like you don't have as many options for lenses as you do on the other systems. Yeah, I mean, most of these, the L-mount primes that we we're just talking about, they're, you know, 600 to 1200 bucks, right? They're right in that sweet spot for typical cost for 1.8 millimeter primes. Yeah, full frame lens. Yeah, full frame. I mean, it's not quite like the 80 millimeter F2 or the 50 millimeter 1.8 that you can get from Canon, which are you know, sub $600, but still like decently priced for what they are. Mm-hmm. And then they have all the Sigma lenses, right? Mm-hmm. And those are really reasonably priced. So if you want like a 24 to 70, you can get a Sigma and it's not going to break Yeah, 24 to 70 Sigma might cost you $1,000. You can get it used if you can find a used version. Mm-hmm. And I think Sigma will even swap the mounts out for you. I do think that's true. If you had a a, a full frame Sigma lens for a different mount, I think you can send it to them and they'll swap them. Yeah, which is, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if all the Sigma lenses necessarily have been tuned for the new autofocus system. And so if you do grab, you know, like a, whatever, a 16 to 24, 2.8 zoom or 16, 28 from Sigma, it may not necessarily be as good at autofocus as some of the Panasonic lenses right now, but I'm sure with like firmware updates, they're going to update those lens firmwares and it's going to get better. Yeah. It's generally seen to me like adapting lenses. The autofocus doesn't necessarily always work well, but if you have something native mount, it usually tends to work. okay. Yeah, it's usually fine. I think that, you know, where where you run into the limitation with L-mount is like they don't have those really, really good primes. Like if you're looking at a like a Canon 85 1.2, you know, L-series lens, then it's it's not necessarily you're not going to get that in L-mount. Yeah. You're not going to find, you know, a 50 millimeter G Master style lens. I don't I couldn't really find much of any primes that were under 1.8 as mm. far as speed. So yeah. it's nice you have this full frame sensor, but you don't have really, really fast primes, mm-hmm. 1.2, 1.4. And then as you get into like the range of zooms, Panasonic makes, you know, a 28 to 24 to 70 and, you know, the 70 to 200 and that sort of thing. But they don't make uh, like a 2.8 version of their wide angle zoom, the 16 to 24. I think it's or is it 10 to 24. Whatever. 16 to 24 would be a really small range. Yeah, it sure would. It sure would. <laughs> kind of want to look it up. I'm not going to. But like Sigma makes a 2.8 version in that range, but it's not Panasonic. And... I don't know. It's it seems like they have a really good option for like most of your coverage, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily have what you need if you need like really really good pro glass. Yeah, unless you want to go buy a five thousand dollar Leica lens, mm. or or you know or adapt. You could mm-hmm. get a, a like that's what we did when we used the S one H. We had a L to EF adapter, right? And we shot everything in EF, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like you can go shoot EF glass, and there's a ton of EF lenses. Yeah, at, in at all, all kind- levels of quality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cinema stuff, all kinds of things. So those are there for you, and I'm sure that they work fine. But it just feels like there's maybe not necessarily all of like the super super pro, super high end you know lenses filled out for L mount yet. Yeah. Or a telephoto. I mean, I think that you cap out at 300 millimeters and that's a 70 to 300 zoom. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even like the high, high end Leica stuff, those aren't all super fast. They don't have, you know, a lot of 2.8, you know, zooms. They're a different range because people who are shooting Leica are shooting street photography. And so it's like the street photography style lenses. I guess maybe though, it's a good sign for the L mount that this camera exists and mm-hmm. it looks so good because I mean, I think a lot of people are going to want to buy this camera then maybe that will encourage lens manufacturers to want to make more lenses for it. Yeah, for sure. And there are three, I mean, there's three manufacturers making lenses for this mount. I mean, Sigma, Panasonic, and Leica. And I think that that helps push more things through. I don't think I'd be too worried about that at this point. There's some downsides, but it's 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 improving fast, I think. It feels like people have been figuring out the lens stuff for Panasonic cameras for a long time. Yeah. Like people who shoot with speed boosters on GH series cameras, they're not using Panasonic Micro Four Thirds lenses. They're using whatever they're speed boosting from. Yep. So it feels like if you're the kind of person who needs the video features and likes the full frame sensor, you're going to figure out how to adapt what you want to adapt. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't know, man. It looks really good. I think this is, uh, I'm surprised it's as cheap as it is Mm -hmm. and it's as good as it is. I mean, it seems like a very strong competitor for video stuff. I mean, for the, for the money, it's, I don't know if there's a better hybrid camera for you if you are shooting video. Yeah. It's really, really good. If you didn't have the X-H2S, would you be considering this camera? Yeah, I would. I would, I would have considered it as an option. I mean, I shot Panasonic before Mm -hmm. and 
you know, if upgrading from the X-T3, I mean, I only had a couple of native mount lenses. And so it's like, I mean, in the summer of last year, I sold all my lenses. I mean, re- you, swapped re- out, you swapped out your entire lens selection twice. Since yeah, then, so. basically. And so it's like, that wouldn't have been a problem. I don't know. I would have I seriously thought about it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you've got an upgrade path too. Like, you know, somebody could buy the S5 Mark II now and get into it, get some lenses. And then if you wanted to later, if you wanted to get an S1H Mark II or whatever, mm-hmm. That's probably going to be, you know, an even better camera and, yeah, for sure. you know, at a, at a higher price. But I mean, Panasonic has really strong video chops. And I think that like the S5, you know, could eventually be somebody's B cam. I mean, it'd be a great A cam now, but yeah. once, once newer stuff's out, it'd be a good B cam and you have a path forward. I don't necessarily think I need uh, more reasons to want a Leica camera. And if I bought into Panasonic L-mount, I mean, it would just be right there. Yep. Yeah. Well, I already good. have all the lenses. Just six thousand dollars away. Just six. That's it. Yeah. No. Even, geez. <laughs> Few other things uh, for the S5. You know, new, no record limits. They took them all out. Finally, the EU is not dictating things like record That's limits. Good. Only uh, things like USB-C. Yeah. So, but part of doing that was heat dissipation, and so they did a thing where, like, underneath the like the logo eyepiece, they put a little intake mm-hmm. and then output on both sides, and it has a fan. Yeah, we've seen that on a couple of other cinema type cameras, like FX30, I think has. Yeah, been. FX30, FX3, the R5C, the S1H, those mm-hmm. all have fans, but they're like it bulks out the camera. Yeah. They didn't do that. This is still a tight, compact camera because mm-hmm. they did this like clever thing where they ran it through where the EVF is, mm-hmm. and you know you can set auto on all the time off all the time whatever but it enables uh, you know these longer record modes and then uh, gerald was saying that panasonic rates their cameras for operation in 104 degrees so whenever they're like oh yeah you can do continuous recording for whatever they test them up to that that temperature which most manufacturers do not do right and that's that's really impressive and so like you can set it to temperature high and then you can shoot 6.2k open gate forever Mm -hmm. and i think in his testing i mean the only time it stopped recording was when the battery died yeah so that's great i mean it's really impressive they moved the sensor for the eyepiece up to the top instead of the bottom so that whenever you reach in to touch the screen you don't trigger it accidentally that that is a every camera manufacturer should do that yeah that that was that's smart and it's like they're thinking about it thinking about how people use these cameras which really is for a lot of video stuff Mm -hmm. things that would have been nice to see you know, this is an it's an upgrade over the S5, but it really does feel like a a small upgrade because S5 could do a lot of this stuff. You know, we talked about the little things that they added, but like it still has the standard flippy screen. They didn't add the tilt screen that you have in the S1H yeah, or the GH6. I was, I was disappointed to not see the new screen. I mean, I think they're just reserving it for the next big refresh. I think the big thing here is they needed to get the phase detect out, mm-hmm. and they did. And like they, you know, sacrificed on some of the other improvements that. You know, they could have had, but at the same time, they wouldn't have been able to hit their price point. They still did a lot. Full-size HDMI port. That's new. It seems like a great camera. Yeah, it really, really does. I just, I don't know. I I keep thinking back, like, what is this? What does this compete with? And what are you not buying? And like, you're saving 500 bucks over something like an X-H2S. And I still, I like the X-H2S over this for a lot of reasons. Mostly of the the annoying things like the gotchas, right? Because X-H2S from Fuji is, I mean, sure it's APS-C, blah, 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 but you're, because you have that stack sensor, like you don't have a crop up to, you know, through 4K 60. 4K 120 has a crop, 1080, 120 doesn't. And you get, you know, these really fast readout speeds. And so you have less rolling shutter and you can shoot open gate. And it feels like, you know, you have less gotchas in all the modes and you can use it to its more of its full potential because it has a smaller sensor and those faster readout yeah. speeds and all that sort of thing. And you're not limited in that way. And so it's like you kind of sacrifice that if you you know went with something like an S1H sure. over it. But then you try, I guess the trade-off is you get all the different video features and you get full frame. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, if, and, and full frame is a double-edged sword because I mean, sure. one thing I like about the X-H2S is that the lenses are smaller and cheaper. Yeah, for sure. But like these Sigma lenses aren't really that much cheaper. I mean, your your standard range zoom on a Fuji is going to cost about the same as that 24 to 70 2.8 Sigma. Yeah. And so if you're happy with Sigma glass, it's, it's honestly cheaper in general. You can you can get a 24 to 70, a 51.8 and the camera out the door for, you know, less than $3,500. Yeah. And that's hard to do these days for this mm-hmm. level of camera. Mm-hmm. And so it's maybe, you know, maybe you go with the Sony because you want the range of e-mount lenses, or yep. maybe you really, really need the autofocus. 
And then, I mean, Canon feels like they're always going to kind of cut you out of the ankles just a little bit to keep those video features on their mm-hmm. pro lines. Yeah, I mean, like R6 Mark II is $600 more. Yeah, about $600 more. Maybe you can find it on sale yeah. for a little less. And but... do- doesn't have the same video features. Right. And then they lock you into their mount, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing that whole RF only Canon thing right now. Yep. And then Nikon doesn't even make cameras anymore. <laughs> it's like all the competition, this is... I mean, this feels like the best deal right now. Yeah. If you have to get a camera right now and you weren't into anything and you were looking in this range, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that very often where something comes out and it's just like unequivocally the best option right. in its price range. I guess part of the problem here is that like if you're in the Lumix system and you have an S5, I mean, it's it's a hard sell to upgrade to this because it's not really that much different, that much better apart from like the huge win on autofocus and yeah. the improved ibis that might be a nut you know yeah maybe maybe wait for the x model yeah you know, but. maybe but like it's it, that's kind of frustrating so like you're not necessarily getting people who are really upgrading from the s5 maybe a few and you know anyone else who's using these level features probably already has a camera yeah. and they have a gh6 or they have a, you know a sony or an icon or whatever all the fuji people aren't going to switch because fuji uh, but like that you, now you have to like sell all your stuff and like switch, switch all the systems. Right. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's, it's not the end of the world, but it's still a, you know, a pretty big effort if you have more than like three lenses. Yeah. I guess that's why KEH exists. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think a lot of people are not as invested in a system as they think they are. I mean, unless you have a lot of like really high end lenses, then it's not that big of a deal to sell your stuff. You'll lose some money, but mm-hmm. if you're, if you're going to something that you're going to be happier with, I think it's worth it. Sure. I, I guess like if you are you know, die hard on a certain lens that you just can't get, sure. like if you need a 1.4 50 millimeter, 85 millimeter or something, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's a stopping point for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it, it is possible to be invested in enough in something for it to not be worth it. I mean, like at this point, you and I both have two Fuji cameras, multiple lenses, like, mm-hmm. you know, it does start to get to where like I really don't want to switch systems again. Yeah, exactly. And then you think about someone who's just getting into this, right? They're starting to do more YouTube stuff or they're starting their own little content business or they have a business and they need a camera. Like there's those people. But I mean, when I was just getting into photography and videography, my budget was like, you know, less than a thousand bucks, less than $600 for a lens and a camera. Yeah. And I didn't want to spend a ton of money. And so no one's going to come in here and spend $3,500 on a camera plus a lens or $3,000 if they're not into the shooting. Yep. Yeah, it's real easy for us to forget that because we've, you know, we're at definitely at the point where $500 feels like a good deal for a lens. But, right. but yeah, when we were first starting, it's like, you're not going to want to spend thousands of dollars because what if you don't like it? What yeah. if you don't want to do it? It's a it's a big investment. And so I, that's kind of where I'm wondering right now is like a new person into it isn't necessarily going to buy an S5. Mm-hmm. And people who have an S5 aren't going to upgrade to an S5, S5 Mark II or necessarily side grade from an S1H to an S5 Mark II. Maybe they'll get a few people who switch, but they, a lot of people are really invested. And so you have to like really make them want to switch. And this is, it's a super good camera, but it's not miles better. It's not miles better than anything else that's out there, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you're, it's better than an um, R6 Mark II and it's not better than an A7 IV. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think if, you know, people that are like, want to be a filmmaker, want to start making some short films, need mm-hmm. a need a good camera for that. I think this is a obvious choice for that. Yeah. But I guess maybe, you know, with the LUT stuff, if you are like you're into Sony E-mount and you have the whole setup, you could buy an S5 Mark II, buy a adapter and then just load in an S-Cine LUT. Yeah. And you basically have a cheaper A7 IV. There you go. Maybe so. You know, one thing that's interesting, too, is that the S the S1H is unique among hybrid cameras and that it's one of the few that's approved by netflix yeah there's not too many there and it makes me wonder if they would try to go for that same approval on a camera like this and if they did that would be a big deal but even if they didn't that's another good reason to kind of like have it in your upgrade path you know if you're into making making films then maybe you start with something like this get some lenses and then you know you can upgrade later to an s1h and if you're trying to do something that's going to go on netflix or whatever then like that's your path yeah similar cameras in that line you know like fx3 you know fits in there i think the fx30 maybe not isn't that a proof list i'm looking at it right now the canon c70 so like any of the c cameras fx cameras yeah. from sony well, but, but I mean, like a Canon C70 is in a totally different price bracket than the stuff. Yep. Oh, these box cameras, the BGH1 and the BS1H, 
are in the list. Well, Another yeah, I mean, that, Netflix wants you to look really cool when you're filming a Netflix show. So yeah, they do. It's important. But you're right. I mean, it's it's a very short list. Like they don't have any Fuji cameras on this list, which pretty pretty surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's yeah. Like if, if you need an upgrade path where you think that you're going to shoot a documentary or something, or you're trying to get in the door, this is it's going to be the cheapest way to get something that's on the Netflix approved list. So. Yeah, yeah. So. I think a lot of that actually comes down to just it comes down to the workflow. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to do a color management workflow with the footage that comes out of your camera. And a lot of these cameras sure can shoot C log two or can shoot F log or whatever, but you still have to have all the back support for being able to, you know, run that into ACES or whatever your you know color management workflow is. And there's a few different like technical limitations that are more than just like can it shoot four K ten bit four two two. Yeah. Or it can't. It has to be able to shoot raw. I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of it. So like this wouldn't. This w- couldn't be approved because it doesn't shoot raw. But like the X version might it does. Yeah. And so like maybe that one makes it in there. And you're right. You know, we upgrade to an S1H Mark II when it eventually comes out. And mm-hmm. Give a really good video video centric hybrid system. Yeah. yeah. So I think that like out of out of all the use cases, the most compelling one I've seen is like somebody who's wanting to get into making films. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to talk about on this was the release. Right. We've talked before about Sony and like, why is Sony growing and growing and growing? And I think a lot of it is their marketing is so on point. Like whenever a new Sony camera comes out, they're like, take all these YouTubers and all these influencers to wherever. And, you know, like they give them all cameras and they give them all these lenses or whatever to borrow for as long as they want and all this stuff. And, you know, they the push whenever a Sony camera hits is huge. And like yep. you see it everywhere. Yep. All That's, the YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And so all these people who can't afford like a cine camera are watching YouTube, watching Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff. And they're seeing this content. They're like, wow, maybe that's what I need to also be able to make my own content, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I think that's why Sony's growing. I think you're right. They make a good thing and they have really good marketing. And Panasonic here basically did that. I mean, any, any YouTuber that does camera or any like podcaster or influencer is into cameras that I can think of got an invite to this thing mm-hmm. i mean and they said they took a bunch of people to japan yeah they took a lot of people to japan they gave cameras away to everybody i mean not wanted... to, i don't think they let them keep them but yeah but yeah, it's they... like a long-term thing they basically yeah. said you know here's a camera here's a bunch of lenses use it for a while you know really really experience our stuff and like make, you you don't have to make a thing on it but you probably should wink wink and then like you, you give it back eventually it's yeah. it's still the media push on this release was huge. Yeah. And I mean, I think it paid off for him too, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of content on it and it kind of makes it feel like they don't have anything to hide. Like they they put that out there and they're just letting people use it and they know what they're doing. I think they know what they have here too, because whenever the GH6 came out, it did not splash this hard. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're like, whenever people talk about our cameras, they're like, Panasonic is really, really good, but autofocus. And they're like, we, they have confidence in it. Like we got it. We figured it out. Like, this is it. And the strategy seems to have worked pretty good as far as, like, if you go on Google and you search S5 Mark II, Panasonic's homepage doesn't even show up in the first two pages, <laughs> right? It's just, like, blog after blog after blog yeah. after video of all of these people raving about how, like, if you had $2,000 to spend on a body right now, that money isn't going to go farther than on this camera. Yeah. That's probably a weird way to say that. Yeah. It's like the best bang for your buck right now. And everyone's on mm-hmm. board with that. The auto, like all oh, the autofocus is really good. The Ibis is really good. And man, a lot of really, really yeah. positive things. Yeah. The marketing matters. I mean, a lot of people make their decisions based on what they see on YouTube, what they see on, you know, Instagram or TikTok. And it's good to see that they're embracing that community and, you know, like reaching out to them and doing that. And that's something I've been impressed with with Sony. Mm-hmm. And I think that other camera manufacturers can learn from it. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to think that you would go with if your budget was a two thousand two thousand or three thousand dollar camera, not including lenses, and you shoot video. This is it. Yeah. Right? If I if I didn't have anything and I was just coming straight into this, I mean, like, what well, it supports shooting anamorphic, so like that's an option for me coming down the road. Like I can adapt my other lenses. Sure, has a good autofocus. It does shutter angle. Which why doesn't everybody else do shutter angle? It's the most annoying thing. It's I mean, it's great. I mean, if you know, if, if even even like you and I, like with all the Fuji stuff, if mm-hmm. we got into like shooting documentaries or something, I would totally consider a camera like this. Like yeah. You got the good IBIS, you know, all the video stuff. I mean, it's seems like a great. It's course. a really good camera. The Fuji cameras will do will do a true 180, right? They'll do, you know, one over 48 mm-hmm. exactly, which is really nice. But your cameras like the FX3, 
you're still shooting one over 50. Yeah. What the heck? This is a cinema. Like, why isn't there shutter angle in the FX series cameras? The FX doesn't even have a, like a lumograph in it, does yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was going to say. I mean, stuff like the video assist False features, color. It's, it's not hard. Like it's just, you know, it's just software. Like they could, they could put that in. I don't know why they haven't. I would not buy an FX 30 over this camera. Yeah, I agree. I almost wouldn't buy an FX three over this camera. Sure. Those are approved for Netflix or whatever. If like, that's your jam or like, and they have Sony lenses, but this is, this just seems better. Yeah. And it's a, it's technically a lower end camera. And yeah, I mean, and compared to the FX3, the price is so much less. Like, oh, for sure. Right. I mean, an FX3 is what? 1800 bucks? $1,600? FX30. Sorry, is, 30. Yeah. Right. FX3 is still 3000 Yeah. Like FX3 is about 3500 So it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 2000 versus 3500 I'm not, I'm not going FX3. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you could walk out there with two lenses on top of it it's really really killed it with this release you know i wish i had my hands on one to play with it um but it would probably make me what what is it i would, I would covet it mm. and then i would be betraying fuji in my heart yeah you can't and, be doing that yep and i yep. just that'd be terrible so yeah. well at least it doesn't have classic chrome that you can that's you can true be happy knowing that you have classic chrome and mm-hmm. s5 mark ii does not but you could you could just stick a lut in there like you could have a V-log to classic Chrome a lot and just bake it in. <laughs> and like you could make your own classic Chrome. Oh, man. Or you could shoot in. You could export it out to F-log. Like you could have a V-log to F-log LUT and then just put everything out with the uh, F-log to Eternal LUT. And That's true. Free film and Eternal. It it's, does all the things. Yeah, you can do it's anything. It's so customizable. <sighs> it just makes me mad how good this is. <laughs> like, And it's not even like... They just took the S5, which was already really good. And they're like, oh, no, let's just add open gate and face tech autofocus and bam. Yep. Best camera of the year. And it's, it's, it's January. I mean, man. S5 Mark II, camera of the it's year. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. No, nothing will pass this. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, it's just, man, really, really good. And it makes me super excited about the S1H Mark II whenever that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm curious if we'll see that this year. but We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Really, really cool stuff from Panasonic right now. Yeah. I agree. Anything else? No. I mean, I that's that's probably it, right? I don't, it's not worth getting anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Cool. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.